0: Yep. All right, friends. uh, Two more more weeks left. This week, we're going to uh, hopefully have, I've done some pretty heavy teaching in the past. Lots of Bible verses flying around today. I hope to leave space and engender more conversation, discussion, questions. Uh, We share some reflections maybe that we're having based upon today's afternoon. So let me open us in prayer. I'll do a quick review. I'll lay out the axiom and four little subpoints, and then we will chat about it. That's the idea. Alright? So let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy today. It's new every new every morning, fresh off the shelf of heaven. Uh, God, we embrace this day as a gift. Help us to be fully present to each other and to you and open our hearts. To receive your kingdom. you want to desire first your love and your justice. Let me pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, by way of review, we've just been talking about what we're calling axioms. They seem to be axiomatic for Jesus. They seem to be sort of assumptions he makes about God and reality and other people that sort of uh, he lives his life by, and they seem to come into sort of contrast or conflict with the way the people around him live their life, and we would contest even the way we live our lives today. So the first is that the goal of life is union with God and love. And we talked about how we can name that love as grace and truth. This connecting relationship... And this empowering vision of how to live. So grace is this connecting relationship, this commitment and connection. And truth is the empowering vision of what the good life is. Um, We talked about how God cares about all of it more than we do. uh, And that God is just like Jesus. And so what we see Jesus doing... He is loving people by helping them deal with what they want. Uh, Jesus helps people get down into their desires into what's motivating them and driving them and them. Um, the idea is that most religion in Jesus's day and I would say most of us in our day, we like to live up here like what we think and what we do, these feel uh, much more, much less scary, and much more controllable, right? I can, indoctrinate, I can indoctrinate and brainwash my kids, and I can uh, punish my kids to make them do what I want, but if I actually have to care for their hearts, then I actually have to, like, be lovely and wise, and we've time for that? So it's easier to stay up here. It's a little more, it uh, feels a little more, like, under my control to stay up here, but we see Jesus... Do is help people get below the waterline to name what they want, what they desire, and then he actually asks them to entrust that to him through some embodied demonstration of trust. So whatever their desire is, whatever their heart is, the call of the kingdom isn't will you get that in order, it's will you trust me in that. So desire is neither good or bad, it just is. And desire needs to be ordered and shaped in the love of God. And the love of God in Jesus looks like integrating what we know and what we do with what we want. And then we, we shared some practices that we see, we see Jesus doing in this process. He said that God is always present at work. And so we have to cultivate the practice of detecting that. So, this is something that those of you who are involved in. In Dean have been doing, we've been detecting kairos moments. Paying attention to how God is at work. We had some metaphors for that. Uh, we said God is so real, He most fully meets us where we really are, and so one of the ways to discover where they are is to dig. We talked about digging with compassionate curiosity a few weeks ago. And we're doing this so we can discern what's really going on. what's actually happening down here. And then there's other practices that we've talked about. Declaring good news, full of who God is and who we are because of who God is. Talked about doing, which is a response to the good news. And then uh, today, our practice is debriefing. I'll get to that in a bit. So this is the tool that kind of holds these axioms together for us and helps them go beyond just abstract assent to concepts. These aren't just concepts we assent to. This doesn't function like a doctrinal statement that you have to sign to become a member. It's, it's naming the way we participate in God's kingdom and community and love. And in order to, in order to actually do that, like, we have to know how to inhabit it. How we practice this together? So today, our axiom. Get ready. <laughs> today, our axiom is this. That whatever God is going to do through us, he will also do in us. Whatever it is God's going to do through us, he will also do in us. That coffee was a lot hotter than I thought it'd be. <laughs> um, we, we used to say this axiom like this. And I'm going to share this because I think we used to say what God does through us, he will first do in us. Uh, we changed it because I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's always linear. But there is a primacy we're trying to communicate. Um, there's a primacy about the work God wants to do here before the work God wants to do out there. All right, there's four like little sub points. I'll just name them, and then let's chat about this, okay? The first is, maybe maybe we need to stop saying the phrase, God, use me. Maybe God doesn't want to use people. Maybe God's not looking for people to use. Think about this for a second. We use tools. And we use toilet paper. And we use tea tree oil. I mean, there's, there's probably a few activities where all three would come into play and let your imaginations fill in the gaps. But do we use other people? Do we use people? This is more than just a conversation about how we use words. It's about what are people for? And are they for your use? And if you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, <laughs> how much better is your father? Meaning, like, just reasoning like uh, Jesus does, if you wouldn't use somebody else because that you know that would violate sort of their humanity or maybe compromise uh, something about what it means to be human, then, then would God be human. So the first is uh, God doesn't use people. Why? Well, He's looking for people to work with Him, not for Him. This is the second sub sort of point. God is looking for participants and co laborers, He's not looking for minions. or slaves. Now. Yes. God is looking for collaborators, co-laborers, participants. God is looking for people he can trust. God is looking for collaborators or co-laborers, participants? God's looking for people he can trust, not tools he can use. I got a a friend who um, was a youth pastor at a large church in Texas. It's sort of the, um, this church in Texas is famous, seen as a success in his denomination. And uh, We were having a conf- we were at that church for a conference, and he and he no longer goes to that church. He no longer works at that church. He's a he's a senior pastor at another church. And he was like, "This is really weird being back here. I haven't been back here since I was fired." And I was like, "Oh, I didn't know you worked here." "Oh yeah yeah yeah,", yeah. for like eighteen months. He's like, "It was actually a really long time for a youth pastor here." And I was like, "Well, why?" And he goes, "Well, I mean, my like my first day on the job, I sat down with the senior pastor." and uh, well, have you heard this one <laughs> all right talk your story you want to tell it no. okay uh, so I said this to your pastor and he asked me are there any questions about your job description and I said no I think it's pretty clear and he said well I just want you to know that I see you as a tool in my tube. belt wow. and your job description is my expectations and if you can't get it done, I'll find somebody who can. You're expendable. Now, friends, I wish I could say that that was rare. It's not. Yeah. I wish I could say that Christians and Christian leaders see that as abusive. They don't. Yeah. This, person, this person and this church are held up as paragons, paradigms of success and faithfulness if I am the first person to ever tell you this, I am sorry on behalf of Christians everywhere. But that is not how God treats you. <laughs> it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be scandalous or surprising, but it is. And it is. Paul, yeah. well, I was just going to say, what we
1: think is rare. Is the fact, that, that senior pastor actually was so fun about that and named it correctly. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some self-awareness there, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there was a great vast turnover in the in the youth pastor um, pipeline at that church. Maybe he thought this will help the turnover be less if I just name up front how I'm going to treat you. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to discipline my. Uh, speech about that because I could talk about it for a while. Yeah. So, listen friends, this is, this is reflected in, so Paul, okay, just let me say some things that come to mind. Paul refers to himself in about half his epistles as a slave of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay? Um, he does that for gospel reasons, um, not because he thinks that God wants to use it. He's identifying with those of low honor and esteem. He's voluntarily giving up his citizenship in Rome and his position as a rabbi in one of the elite uh, rabbinical schools of Judaism so he can identify with the least that he's trying to reach. So it's a missiological, theological move, not a, this guy is a real taskmaster. That's not what he's trying to say. Secondly, Jesus communicates this, right, in... John's gospel where he's talking to his disciples and he says, um, I no longer call you servants because servants don't know what their master's doing. I call you friends. Now, when we say the word friends, like when we say friend, we mean like chum, pal, buddy. Sydney, I know you've heard you say chum all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, what you, that's, what we, that's what we mean, right? We mean like somebody we have an affinity for, somebody we like. Jesus' day, friend did not mean that mean that. Friend wasn't like the person you got together with on the weekends to play video games with. In Jesus' day, a friend was a partner, an associate. There was some arrangement of co-responsibility in friendship. That word means more like what we would describe as business partner. I mean, it's it's more than business partner, but we would never, actually people tell you not to become partners in business with friends. Sorry, guys. But like, (laughs) people actually say that now, because they're like, you don't want to mix business and friendship. In Jesus' day, friend meant partner. So he's calling his followers partners. So we work with God, not for God. One of the reasons here, friends, is that um, throughout history, Christians have justified and rationalized every level of atrocity you can possibly imagine as doing good things for God. Right? We've got inquisitions, holy wars, and crusades, and burning other Christians at the stake because they they uh, rebaptized somebody, or burning somebody at the stake because they wouldn't baptize somebody again, and all of these things that were done, that we would say, you know, that probably suboptimal. All these things done like that, these people weren't doing it because they decided to serve Satan. They were doing it for God. Fully convinced that this is something God wanted them to do. So I'm less interested in in the good ideas we have to do for God. And I'm more interested in understanding what God's going to do out there. He first wants to do in here. Because he wants us to participate with him. Not get a good idea and go accomplish it in our own strength. All right. Third, the third something is that uh, Jesus seems to care about character before competency. This is, um, this is a particular problem in churches. I mean, the story I just shared about that youth pastor, this, this senior leader was hired for his competency. And he made it clear that what he cared about with his youth pastor was competency. Uh, we tend to hire in churches for competency. We tend to fire for character. Tend to. Yeah, Isaiah.
1: How does this not just make character into competency?
0: Yeah, say more about that. How would that. What would that look like? Well, like you just
1: need to get better character. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, kind of. Like, in other words, like, you know, the JavaScript used to be a list of competencies, now it's a list of character traits, and that's now, like, the new thing to care about. And it's just, like, how good are you at being about having character? I mean, maybe, maybe it's just, like, it's different values. I mean, they're obviously different values. Yeah, right? yeah. But, like, when you say, when I hear character over competency, like, my initial thought is, like, ah, oh, this is a shift in how we, uh, it's not just a shift in values, it's, like, a shift in, like, how we evaluate Yes. Um, but now, but it feels like it could become, it could just fall into the same sort of like, what can you do for your character-wise?
0: Yes. No. Yeah, I could. Uh, I'll say something about it in a second. In. Yeah.
2: So, like the the only uh, the the way the way I look at it, it's and, and I don't know, maybe it's a choice of words. Unless you know, you can present some things in the Bible where Jesus is specifically talking about this, but. Um, Similar to grace and truth, I think it's a calibration. Like a lot of competencies are out of character. Yeah. 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 Um, a lot of character can be learned from lack of or um, superiority in competencies. Yes. So that's where I just need like, help seeing because um, even and it's not just churches; it's businesses as well. Yes. Yes. So. Because I'd like to think I care about both uh, <laughs> equally. E- um, yeah. Both one can be you know. So. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be both at the same time.
0: Right. So I hear, yeah, so I hear, um, this is good to tease this out. So let me just back up a bit. Trying to, We're trying to name uh, Jesus' operational intelligence. How we see Jesus... I mean, he chooses, like, fishermen and tax collectors to be the reconstitution of the 12 tribes of Israel. He picks people that weren't enrolled. I mean, it's like he picks... Twelve pastors, and none of them are in seminary. There's a way to say that. And so, what, like, why? Why does he do that? What's going on there? Later we see Paul. I'm going to preach about this later. We see Paul in Philippians 3 talk about his resume. I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I was the guy. You know what I mean? I knew everything. And he says, I counted all as lost for the cause of Christ. In Corinthians, he decides not to go in with, like, you know his best kind of Stephen Furtick sermon, you know, with like pyrotechnics and um, amazing illustrations. But he goes in knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and crucified. He's like, there's this celebrity power show happening here, and I'm going to show you what true power is. I'm going to subvert this entire game of celebrity.
2: Um, and, and also, I think what you might be trying to say is. I I Did often I
0: don't even know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: so for instance, uh, in past church experiences or um, parachurch organizations, what the lead, just from my experience, the leader of that organization has always seen me and going, oh my gosh, that guy knows a lot of people. He's uh, he's gifted with certain relational competencies. I want Andy on my team. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Andy, this is a really good example. Yes. Yeah. Could, could, I, could I extrapolate that yes, a bit more? Okay. Have your permission to do that? Absolutely. So what Andy's referring to is like um, Andy enjoys connecting with people and meeting with people, and he's really good at it. And um, if I if I as a leader have an idea of what needs to happen in any culture organization. I can view Andy as a resource and an asset. As a ringer. As a what? A ringer. Yeah. like (laughs) (laughs) Somebody to use. You know, I'm an an introvert. I tend to like be polarizing, but everybody loves Andy. So I'm going to put Andy on the tip of my spear, and he's going to become the person who now is, like, I'm just going to throw expectations and sort of a a task on Andy. He's going to do this work for me us. And it's good work. He's connecting people. It's kingdom work. He's making people feel love, right? What it means is, so that's not necessarily bad or wrong, but if I'm committed to Andy's character over competency, what difference does that make? What questions am I going to ask about what I'm asking Andy to do before I ask him to do that? I think... Anybody? No, this is isn't this rhetorical because is super important. Yeah. Is this is this good for Andy? Is Why does Andy like to connect with people? Why it like? What work is it doing for him? Is it kingdom work in his life? So
1: Oops. it seems like to me that the shift is that when I hear character competency, it's like to accomplish my ends, I'm going to value character competency. But that's not really what you're saying. You're saying I value character competency in Andy.
0: Uh, I'm saying character before competency, not over. That's important because they both matter. Right. Competency matters. But like, it's not like Jesus went and
1: chose the twelve guys with best character. Like clearly, that's not true either. Right. Right. So we're, this isn't a perf- like a virtue
0: performance thing. Right. Um, what we're going to talk about in, in our uh, our worship time is that what Jesus looks for are people who are willing to be responsive to his grace. Not the holiest people, not the most virtuous people. But the people who when they come in contact with good news go, yes. That's why he's sending out heterodox people in the mission. Because they say yes to his great. And they've got a story to tell. So that's character, then, is responsiveness to God's kingdom in Jesus. Rather than 34 virtues, you're killing it out. Yeah. And that's important, I think, Isaiah, maybe to make explicit.
3: Yeah, I keep thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus sort of makes a contrast between the heart that he's looking for and, like, the outward piety. Like, the Pharisees were, like, they, they were, it seems like there's a difference in terms of character is not performance and piety character is more the inward
0: part of responsiveness to God's grace. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. That's That's the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees by the way. The righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees isn't being more externally virtuous than the Pharisees. It's actually dealing with why do you want to connect with people? Not how do we get you better at that? How do we platform and grandstand that to impact more people? That's not the righteousness that extends the Pharisees. It's, what work is this doing for you? And does Jesus want that work in you? Really good clarifying questions, you guys. Okay, four. Um, uh, anyway, I, this was Dallas. I'm going to quote Dallas Lord uh, a couple times. Um, a quote that he, I heard him say uh, once that goes with this character for competency thing. Dal said, "The greatest crisis facing the American church today are church leaders whose character can't match their gifting, can't bear their gifting. That was it—not match, bear. Meaning, talented, charismatic, gifted people whose character can't bear it, who aren't willing to crucify their talent for the sake of the kingdom." But actually crucify others with the talent. Well, it just
3: reminds me, I worked in the Christian music industry for a while in Nashville, and that was one of the main things we saw was people who raised up to a platform because of their skills, their ability to sing, their ability to perform, their ability to do all that, but their character didn't match it. And so we started ministry to to get it's the same issue, it seems like
0: that issue is pervasive in any of the yes. in any occupation of them, I'm a patient, I'm yes. a Christian, you know, we raised up to a place that because of our outward skills, it doesn't matter. Yes. Because then you crash and burn, and we saw crash and burns all the Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You guys speak up a bit. I want to make sure we get this on yes. the um, recording. So, the church that I um, was in Bible school with,
3: what I think would say this was true character over before competency, um, but character was defined in a very different way. Mm. So, could you like expound on
0: what do what I mean, mean by character? That's great. Yeah, I mean, I'm preaching, this is basically in my sermon. Coming up here. So um, if you're going to be present in worship, you can feel free to daydream and tune out. <laughs> <laughs> you Either one. <laughs> Either one. How dare I do that to myself? Uh, yeah. Uh, what I mean by character isn't moral perfection. Or like Isaiah, you said, making it the new competency. How competent are you with these characteristics? Not that. What I mean by character is a willingness to yield to the kingdom when it comes. Are you hungry and in pursuit? Do you hunger and thirst for justice? For righteousness? So to put it in the language we're using here, do you want to have kairos moments? And when you encounter one, is that good for you? Like, is that, do you want to hear and respond? Do you want to listen and obey? When you look into the perfect law, the law of love, and see your reflection, do you want to remember it or do you want to go away and forget about it? To use James's language. So when I say character, what I mean is an inner disposition to to be willing to receive the kingdom when it comes. Um, is this? Yeah, I think this is in John's gospel. Some of you uh, Awana all-stars will remember this better than me probably, but um, you know who you are. Um <laughs> Isn't, isn't, doesn't Jesus talk about Philip in John's gospel, where he says, behold, here's an Israelite with whom, with whom there is no guile? Do you see something like that? Exactly. All right, now I've got to look it up. Uh, what Jesus is referring to there is um, when he's calling, he's calling this person to him. So? Yeah, this is uh, John 1, verse 47. <laughs> Just listen to this for a second. This is amazing. The next day, Jesus... This is uh, John 1, 43, if you're uh, following along. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, Follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the Law and the Prophets, Jesus Joseph's son from Nazareth, Nathanael responded, "Can anything good from Nazareth? Can anything from Nazareth be good?" Philip said, "Come and see." Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and said about him, "Here is a genuine Israelite, in whom there is no deceit." And Nathanael says, "How do you know me?" So notice, Nathanael's got this uh, fairly—I um, don't know—either sarcastic or uh, prejudicial bias against Galilee. So, in a sense, he's got some kind of lousy character. In a sense. But notice how Jesus hails him. Hails him. I, it's hard, it's actually hard to think of another Israelite that Jesus compliments more than Nathanael he says, this is a genuine guy. There's no deceit in him. This, this, is, this is what I mean by character. You can be a prejudiced, biased jerkhead, but have no deceit in you and be authentic so that when that's confronted, you'll go, who needs that? I want, I want the kingdom. Right? You can have no prejudice and bias, but not be authentic and have tons of deceit. And that's not the character Jesus is looking for. Does that make sense? So, like, in this passage, we see Nathanael, like, basically putting Jesus' hometown on blast. And being dismissive of him. And Jesus compliments and calls him to be a, a, a apostle. To be a, a disciple. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. It's not, do you have all your dunks in a row? It's how you respond when you see your crooked row of ducks. That's what I mean by Uh, character. Okay, one more, because um, all these passages keep coming to mind. James chapter 3 is what I mean. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 13. 13 through 18. Um, James is talking about wisdom here, uh, but this, this relates to this character conversation we're having. Listen, listen to this. Are any of you wise and understanding? Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart... Stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. That is not the wisdom that comes from above. Instead, it is from earth, natural, and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in everything that is evil. What of the wisdom from above? Listen to this. First, it is pure. Then peaceable. Gentle. This word obedient. Means willing to yield or open to reason. Willing to change. Filled with mercy and good actions. Impartial and genuine or fair and sincere. So James is contrasting uh, wisdom from understanding. Wisdom from knowledge, right? He's saying you can have tons of insight and be a jerk at Or or you can have wisdom from above. And the difference is, the wisdom from above, you're gentle and you're willing to learn. And your life is full of good fruit because of it. And that's what I'm describing with character. There's a character that's from above, right? There's a morality that is, like, willing to yield and open. And then there's a morality that's kind of harsh and brittle and rigid. That's not Okay, fine. Uh, four. The fourth sub-point. Sub- um, it's that... Um, so, so remember, um, what God's going to do through you, He'll also do in you. So one, God doesn't use you. We work with God, not for God. He's working on our character um, before competency. And then fourth is you reproduce who you are. So... Another Dallas Willard quote, what God gets out of you, what God gets from you in your life is not the achievements you accomplish, it's the person you become. What God gets out of you isn't the achievements you accomplish, it's the person you become. That's because, uh, I want to say like 99%, I'm, use, I'm using that in a colloquial sense, 99% of your time you are just responding to people and relationships out of who you are rather than tactically, strategically, prefrontal cortex deciding ahead of time how I'm going to respond. Like, I can prepare for a class and impress people with knowledge and maybe put on a show that I'm a pretty good guy. But if you come home with me and my kids are yelling at each other and then I yell at them to stop yelling at each other, then like who I really am, you know what I'm saying? Like what God gets out of me comes out of who I really am rather than what I can perform in front of people sitting on a stool or at a pulpit. So we will reproduce who we are. If my kids think it's a good idea to yell at each other, they learn that from somewhere. My kids don't know how to deal with conflict with each other, other than to yell and to threaten and to fight. They may be reproducing what they've seen. From our neighbors. (laughs) All right. So this is why God wants to do things in us is because we will reproduce who we are no matter what. The person you are when you're not looking, the person you are when you aren't on and performing, that's usually what you reproduce. Okay. I know we've had some great conversation already, but I want to throw it open for (laughs) thoughts, questions, responses. Yes, Isaiah. Isaiah.
1: Does this suggest, or like, would you say then that, that the Christian faith is primarily an inward-focused one? Um, and I don't mean that like I think that can come off like derogatorily. I just I'm asking honestly like for you is the inward focus at least come first or even take privacy over like the outward turning of the Christian life?
0: Yeah. Because that's kind of what I hear, and I'm not. I think inside I'm like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm also like, okay, like that's not
1: necessarily wrong. Like, It's sort of like depending like on throughout the Christian like, world. Like, I'm just curious what your thoughts
0: are. I have thoughts always, but I'm curious what other people would say or what that stirs for you as you hear that question. So the question was, is the Christian life... Uh, primarily about an inward journey, an inward focus, uh, rather than an outward focus.
1: And, and I hear from you that, like, you know, that it's not like that. You know, this, act, this entire action is like what God does through you, right? So God does through you is like there's there's an outward focus there, right? So I know I know mean, you're not saying like it's not about that. I'm just curious, for you whether first, whether mercy
0: and yeah. What's primary, what comes first, and can we talk about it like that? What, what stirs for you when you hear that question? Or what occurs to you? I'm curious, like, if they're separable, really, because they seem to, like, cycle into each other. Can we separate them? Right. Are they two discrete realities? Yeah. And I don't hear you necessarily separating them, Isaiah, but I think that's a good question, Andrea. How, do we, con- how we conceive this question determines how we can answer. Yeah. Other thoughts about that? Uh,
3: I, I, I like that idea that they're inseparable um, and connected because of, when we originally conceived this action, we're mainly talking to pastors who they're maybe leaders whose primary temptation is to think that I can have something, I can God can do something through my life that sort of bypasses me. Right? So I can just figure out how to like make something happen out there and it avoids you know, my own. But as we've kind of talked with other people who maybe aren't wired up to or that kind of thing, actually, we've actually found we have the adversity for them to make it a little bit more prophetic, to say, what God does in you, he also does through you. So, like, be open to speaking about these things. Be open to what God wants to do through you because what he does in you, it can't be separated from what he does through you. So there's been a hesitancy. Sometimes people have had a hesitancy to speak, you know, to lead, to share, right? Just like, I just, I like it when it's me and God and I feel like I'm growing in my faith It's like, no, what God does in me, he also does three. And so I, I think there is there is a dichotomy in our minds sometimes between oh, is it just about personal growth and then, you know, hopefully that helps you know, my ministry, or is it just about ministry and hopefully I'm not too much of a jerk. And I think Matt's used this word several times, but for me the word participation Links them together. Like what we're doing is participating in the kingdom, and that will change our character and it will also affect how we relate to others. And so they are inseparable, but I think there's different kinds of people that need a different sort of prophetic message about kind of the linkage. That's, that's, that's
0: thoughts. I think just another part of it is if you um, are concentrating and focusing.
3: Very self-absorbed and you forget that she actually empty himself yes. for us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so there's, it's there's a, I guess the Westminster, uh, exactly. yeah, about we're here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Yeah. Him. So, but I think there's an additional aspect of it, that we're here for others as well. Yeah. Inside, mm-hmm. And then pull it pours out. But just cut it off there, then it's all about you. Yeah. And then it becomes a different position, Yeah. It's yeah. Active, you know, I mean it's yeah. you know, it's all about me. Yep. And I see that in uh when I've been in circles where that emphasis is totally on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: Right. Right. I'm going Right.
3: Yeah. I've seen it where somebody's act of sharing or speaking is actually part of their personal growth. Oh, right? Definitely. So it's like we end up stunted if we think I can just do this with God all by okay. myself. There is a relational aspect to it that is necessary for us to keep growing.
0: Um, yeah, Sharon and Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> share a brief story um hey deacon can i um can i talk about what i learned with you about screen time last week <laughs> i'm kind of putting you on the spot this is this has way more to do with me than you um so one of the one of the uh, and this kind of gets to what you just said sharon like how it how it can be inseparable uh one of the constant kairoses i have is that uh I don't know how to communicate and help my kids get off screens when I tell them it's time to get off screens. (laughs) Um, And so what typically happens is like, they have 20 or 30 minutes, depending on if it's a weekday or weekend. And uh, Celeste just wants, just tell me when it's time to get off and I'll get off. Don't give me a warning. And Deacon wants 10 to 12 warnings Uh leading up to the time he needs to get off the screen, right? I may be exaggerating, but they want different things. So I'm trying to help that. Um, But what will often happen is Deacon's in the middle of a video or a video game that's like engrossing or, you know, super fun. And I'm like, screen time's up, and it's either no response or just a minute. And then I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Like, I either go to hangout or call out. It's either like, okay, do whatever. Just let me know whenever you're done. Or... Do you know who I am? Get off the iPad! <laughs> you know? Like, those are the two options, right? In, you to up, you to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not lying. I, this is really, like, what happens, right? No. So, uh, last, I think it was last Saturday. Last Saturday, uh, I'm not even sure I would say in the moment I had a Kairos. Um... But one of the practices that I've, I've developed and this, I think it actually happened unconsciously for me, is learning to own and name what I want. Um, and I realized that what I wanted was for Deacon to go off the screen and, uh, and I didn't know how to accomplish that. And so I said, to, I don't know if you remember this, Deacon, I said, um, hey, Deacon, I've asked you to go the screens five times, and I don't want to yell at you, and I don't want to punish you to get you to obey. So I don't know what to do. Do you remember that? Do you remember what happened? Deacon immediately closes the iPad up and puts it away. Now... In that moment, I was like... Eureka! <laughs> um, but I, I, as I, 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 that was my kairos. In that moment, I had this kairos of like, you know, was that just me being passive-aggressive with Deacon? Was I like threatening without threatening I was going to do those things? Maybe. Um, but maybe in addition to that, it was me saying... And this this gets back to like, isn't it inner or an outward thing? Deacon, I've exhausted my outward imagination for how to help you obey me, and I don't know what to do. And I'm I'm like being vulnerable, confessing that I'm at the limits of my ability, and submitting it to him, rather than just like texting my wife and saying you're in. (laughs) I'm going for a run. Um, so in that moment, I was really connected to I don't know what to do. And then I just named that with Deacon. And Deacon realized, I don't know, what did you realize that? What happened with you in that moment? Do you remember what you thought? I was thinking. I don't want to know. I was just I don't know. Yeah, you probably thinking, I don't want you to yell at me and I don't want punishment either. Right? <laughs> Yeah. I'm, the reason I mention that is because um, had God done something in me before he could do something through me? Not that I could perceive. I mean, maybe maybe I practiced owning what I wanted and naming that. We talk about if we want to move out, of hang out and call out the first, first truth we tell us about ourselves. So, like, I've practiced just telling the truth about myself in a situation like that. So, like... It just came out of me without me like strategically planning it. So maybe there was a work done in me. Uh, but also, as I feel like God did something through me, he also did something in. Like I was able to reflect and have a kairos and, and name that and talk talk to people about it. So I want to say this. The way that we're naming this axiom, in no way, in no way do I want to suggest that it's a this is why we no longer say first. It's not linear. But it is, it is this cyclical thing. It's this reflexive. Both things are acting on each other. Right? The problem in our culture where most abuse and problems happen seems to be that we presume what God cares about is what I do, not who I am. People that... People that care more about who they are than what they do, and they just focus on that, they tend to be sort of narcissistic and kind of inward focused, but they're not given much responsibility. You know what I mean? They don't really care about it, and so not much damage happens. So I think that's, that's why this axiom is phrased like that. It's meant to help, it's meant to help protect people. from themselves and from other leaders thanks for letting me share that Deke yeah other before we wrap up we just have a couple more minutes other thoughts or questions or things that stir for you in this Why is that important for you in this? Like, why is that an aha, uh-huh, or why is that a key, key thing for you? Mm, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, because I think we're in the immediate, immediate, um, instant yes. culture. Yes, yes. So we get focused into what, you know, my life is
3: right here. and We forget the big picture is part of it. yes. the other too much to do because I kind that Yes. And
0: they were just a guess. Yes, Katie. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, so you can it's always a, a Yes, kid. yes. So. That's really good. I feel that with just with this iPad thing with Deacon. Like, um, I'm careful about who I share those kinds of things with. Because typically what how most Christians respond to that, in my experience, has been, well, here's what we do with our kids. Yep. <laughs> Have you thought about changing the password so that he can... No, that's never occurred to me. Have you, have you thought about hiding the iPads? Well, this is why we don't have screens in our family. Here, let me give you this 10-part sermon series. My sermon preached upon the dangers of entertainment and screens. Thank you. All of this. I never thought of it before. Like, so there's a sense, Katie, in which, like, we're really good at doing that. Like, oh, you're depressed now? Just think about that. Let me fix that for you. With, when it comes to the iPad, deacon, I know... That as an 11 year old and a 43 year old, I can lock it down and I can force him to obey for six to seven more years. And the 10,000 things that I can lock down and force him to obey in the next six, seven years, I get what I want. But his next seven years, he has no idea how to live. None. He doesn't know how to say no when he's on screens and he needs to leave them. He's never had to work through dealing with developing wisdom because he always had a guy telling him what he could and couldn't do. And then he goes to college and he's like, Rumspringer, I do whatever I want. Now I play video games until 6 a.m. in the morning and then miss class. And I drink, all I do is drink Coke for breakfast. You know what I mean? Like it's like this, right? So there's a sense in which, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just saying with you. As a dad, there's, you know what? It's 4 p.m. on a Saturday. We haven't talked at all today. You need to get off screens because we need to spend some time together. That's the battle. But the war is how do I raise a child that's able to make wise decisions without a rule person standing over them threatening punishments? And both of those are needed. Both of them are needed. So it's this calibration, right? It's this calibration. It happened yesterday. And I said, Deacon, Deacon, we got to figure out a new strategy to help you make wise choices with your screens. And Deacon's idea is, you just need to hide my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and every time you say that, Deacon, I'm like, yeah, that, that's like a short-term win. But there's 10,000 iPads in your life, and I can't hide them all. And when you turn 18, no one's there to hide your, hide your iPad you have to be able to look at the ipad and choose the good maybe it is the ipad, maybe you're choosing the ipad for good so they're both, like they're both, it's both of those things alright hopefully uh, in your DNA groups this week you can name some things for you like some personal kairoses for you that come up out of this um, that's what they're for. Is so that we trust that God's present at work in your life, and in this conversation, there's situations, relationships, ideas that come out that God wants to speak to and bring greater faithfulness in your life. So that's what that's for. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll and we'll go. You can enjoy the organ music before we get ready for we'll worship. God, we do love you, and we do thank you that you are. That you don't despise the best and the brightest. And you don't despise the lowest and least. But that you are wanting to empower us with your spirit to be collaborators with you. Whatever we're starting from. wherever we're coming from. If we have tons of degrees and know way more than we should. Or if we feel like. Every time we sit in this class, people use words that are unfair because we don't know what they mean. God, you meet us right there, and you're at work to bring about greater conformity to your son Jesus. So we offer our bodies as living sacrifices for that. Prepare our hearts for worship so we can hear and respond, listen, and obey. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.